Welcome to the One City Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at onecitymemphis.org. So last week was a standalone message. This week we're picking up the series, Cultivate, Prepare the Land. And this is week three, so if you have not uh, listen to week one or two. You can do that on the website or you can, you know, tune into the podcast. But what we're really talking about is that we have to cultivate good soil. Because if we don't cultivate good soil, guess what? What's necessary for weeds to grow? Nothing. Right? What's required for weeds to grow, absolutely nothing. So if you are not proactive, then the weeds are active and they're going to take over. Now, there are certain things you do as a preacher that you never really think about that you would do. So, you know, I had to go do a little research on weeds, right? So if you want to know why weeds are so effective at being weeds, listen to this. Weeds make lots of seeds, all right? So the dandelion, right? You ever, you know, blew all the seeds off of one? Well, you just blew about 100 (laughs) seeds into the air. The wind carries those seeds, plants them far and wide, all right? And then here's what happens. Weeds, imagine this. They're known for being bullies to other plants, They compete for resources. They grow faster because they have a shallow root system. And have you ever noticed this? They're incredibly difficult to kill. What are the weeds that keep resurfacing in your life? How do we fight the weeds? There's many ways. But one of the things that we've got to learn is we need to be on guard against the enemy, all right? And when I say we've got to be on guard against the enemy, nothing great happens without opposition. And he's always opposing what God wants to do. Now, what happens if you underestimate the enemy? You become vulnerable and uh, easily deceived And he can take root in your life in ways that you don't even recognize it. But what happens if you overestimate the enemy? You become fearful. No, he is a defeated foe, but he's still dangerous. He's defeated, but he's still dangerous. And we need to learn how to take authority over him, all right, and What we're trying to do in this moment in our city is take authority over him, bind the enemy, release freedom, release love, release all the fruits of the Spirit, all right? And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, and we're going through chapter 13 in this series with all the different parables, and this parable stresses what the enemy's doing, all right? And so if you'll look in uh, Matthew 13, verse 24... I'm going to read verses 24 through 30. It says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed 
in his field. That's what the kingdom of heaven is compared to. So when you see a rich harvest, it is a picture, a reflection of the abundance of the kingdom of heaven. He wants to give you the very best. That's what the Garden of Eden was before we messed it up a little bit, right? Verse 25. But while his men were sleeping... His enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Just kind of slipped in during the night, planted some seeds that none of us want there, disappeared without us really noticing. Verse 26. And so when the plants came up and they bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. Verse 27. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? Would you please be very, very careful about always noticing the weeds and not noticing the wheat? Why do we pay so much more attention to the weeds than the wheat? And when we notice the weeds, we're tempted to become prideful. And we always see ourselves as the wheat, by the way. We never see ourselves as the weed, right? But just there's a tendency here. How then does it have weeds? Let me give you a real shocker here. The church is full of weeds. The church is not perfect. It never will be perfect. When you joined it, when I joined it, it ceased to be perfect, right? So, he says, verse 28, then he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned and gather the wheat into my barn. There's a lot of really important truths for us to gain from this parable. Now, let me ask you this question. What do you want from your field? What do you want from your field? I mean, that's a good question. It's a question you need to answer. But let me give you a better question. What does God want from your field? Because sometimes we want something that though it's good, it's not his best. We want something that what we have to realize and understand is that the enemy's lies that are the most effective are the ones that are closest to the truth. An outrageous lie, you go, oh, well, that's just stupid. But a lie that's just one or two degrees off has just enough deception in it that it kind of sounds good, and it enables you to compromise just enough to still remain in control, then... uh, That's a palatable lie. So what God wants for us is better than what we can want for ourselves. 
So what does it look like for you to truly, truly submit to his goodness? You go, oh, I, I believe in his goodness. Oh, do you really? Where do you battle for control the most? And where you battle for control the most is probably where you doubt his goodness. And where you battle for control the most is where you might doubt his ability. And so we need to understand what are our tendencies in the world of control where we try to take the reins back and say, I can do it better than you, though we don't intellectually say that, we practically do it. So in verse 25, he says, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and he sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So what are these seeds look like? The seeds that the enemy sows in the church, by the way, in the family of God, among the people of God, these seeds, they look like God's seeds more times than not. He's disguising them. I just said this a minute ago, in that context, the most dangerous lies are closest to the truth. See, he strips the truth of its context from the context of a loving father, from the context of mercy and grace, from the context of forgiveness and freedom. How is it that the people of God who are supposed to be known by mercy and grace, grace upon grace, supposed to be known by love, have become known by judgment? See, that's a self-righteous seed sown by the enemy that puffs up my pride and makes me think I'm better than someone else. See, they are seeds of the religious spirit, in many regards, counterfeit Christians. They're seeds of judgment. And all of us, to one degree or another, are tempted at different times to judge. We look down upon someone else. We criticize someone else. We condemn someone else. And indirectly, we make ourselves look better. Now, one of the things I want to bring back in the life of our church is this phrase that's been a part of my ministry for 20-something years. Imagine a perfect place for imperfect people. Listen to this. Those seeds of judgment, here's the thing. Jesus was friends with all the wrong people for all the right reasons. Hello. Don't you want to be that person? I want to be friends with all the wrong people for all the right reasons. In order to do that, we have to take our mask off. We have to quit pretending we have to show that we have some flaws as well. And we have to share from our own vulnerability. And we have to say, I'm not better than you. I'm just forgiven. Yeah. All right? See, now listen to this. People are complicated. Anyone say amen? amen. And the Bible shows it's possible. You really need to hear this. The Bible shows it's possible to be godly and yet still do ungodly stuff from time to time. Yeah. You seen that proved out? Someone can truly be godly 
and yet still do some ungodly stuff from time to time. In our judgmental spirits, we see people as all or nothing. Why? Because it's easier to write someone off than it is to love someone through an ungodly moment. It's easier to write someone off than to love someone through an ungodly moment. We want to go the extra mile to love people. We want to go the extra mile to reach the person that's furthest from God. And listen, I don't care what their sin condition is. Here's where church has made a huge mistake. The church has prejudged people. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we've prejudged certain sins that are obviously incredibly popular in today's culture. I'm not condoning any sin, but I want to offer compassion without compromise. I'm compassionate to any sin, but I never compromise the word of God. Love is patient. Love is kind. When love is patient and love is kind, people will eventually rejoice with the truth. I want you to treat the worst sinner the way you would treat them if they were your son and daughter. You never give up. See, when the scripture says love never fails, another translation of that is love never, 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 ever gives up. So our call as Christians is not to be known for what we're against. Our call is to be known for what we're for. And if we are for love, then we act out of compassion because compassion is love at work. Let me continue. I really want to build this into the DNA of our church. I want to build what it means for us to be a friend of sinners, what it means for us to be the opposite of the judgmental spirit. See, Jesus, the people, how do I say this? Let me get this right. The people that were most unlike Jesus liked Jesus the most. Jesus would be in the presence of prostitutes, drug addicts, tax collectors. That's kind of a person that was a traitor for their day. Never compromised who he was, and yet the people never felt shame, and somehow another they were attracted to him. Hear me. In far too many ways, we as Christians have lost our voice in the world today because we have shouted in criticism rather than acted with compassion. Whenever you see me tear up, typically it's two things. Sometimes I'm just seeing the Spirit of God move and it just touches my heart. The other time it's compassion. I tear up when I see a need and I see a hurt and I see a wound and I feel led of the Spirit to move into that. What we need to do as a Christian community is to take a collective vow to never, ever give up on people. See, love never fails because love never gives up. Now, here's another seed of the religious spirit. It's the seed of knowledge. You go, well, isn't that a good thing? It can be. 
But there is a knowledge that puffs up. There is a knowledge that leads us to become spiritually prideful. That was the knowledge that the Pharisees perfected, all right? Um, It's a knowledge that fuels our pride. Let me say this real quick. Coming from a background in history that was non-spirit-led, and now having God do a work in my life to have a better understanding and experience of the Holy Spirit, um, and leading a church that's spirit-led, People, there's pride on both sides. On the non-spirit-led, there's doctrinal pride. We are right, you're wrong. Y'all experience that, right? Okay. On the spirit-filled side, it's, we don't necessarily say it, but we're more spiritual than you. You know, we love more than you. You know, we're more passionate more than you. Stop it. Just... Be humble because when Jesus described himself, he said, I am meek and humble in heart. And that word meek means strength under control. See, God's command, you know, like here's the seed of of knowledge, which is under this title of these seeds of religious spirit. God's command isn't for you to know more. It's for you to love more. Watch this. He's not a principle to agree with or disagree with. He's a person to get to know. When we are singing certain things about anxiety, about fear, about division, about all these problems, don't attach the, per- the, the issue to the person and make the person the problem. They're just a person. They're struggling just like you struggle. You know, so you've heard that saying before that we want to hate the sin but not hate the sinner. And I even hesitate using that because it's been so misapplied. The reason, see, you got to imagine when Jesus said repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. How did he say it? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Why don't you turn toward me? Back off. He said, repent. It breaks my heart to see you deceived. It breaks my heart to see sin destroying you. It breaks my heart to see the way the enemy's manipulating you. It breaks my heart to see my child have all of this happen to them when I am for you and I am here for you and I am with you and I am full of grace and mercy. Would you please repent so you no longer get hurt? That's the heart of repentance. The commandments of God are not intellectual commandments. They're relational commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second's like the first. Love thy neighbor as thyself. It's a relational commandment. A new commandment I have for you that you love one another even as I've loved you. It's a relational commandment. The golden rule, treat others as you want to be treated. It's a relational commandment. God's standard does not rest entirely on what we know, but on who we know. This next seed that the enemy plants, and see, I know the enemy, right? And that quote is, and the enemy is us. 
See, within the church, the church self-destructs a lot of times. And the reason why we self-destruct is because we aren't walking by the Spirit, bearing the fruits of the Spirit, and we allow these seeds of manipulation to distort who we are and what God wants to do. And so the next seed is the seed of comfort or the seed of compromise. Hear me clearly. I'd rather teach my children how to fight the good fight than run from the battle. There's a lot of us that think safety is just running away from the problem. Now hear me. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He didn't run away from it. And that means, you got to hear this, joy is greater than shame. Listen, shame is one of the most powerful emotions that exist. Nothing will debilitate, devastate, depress, or embarrass someone more than shame. But the joy being talked about here is the joy of obeying the Father from a heart of love. The result of that obedience is that Jesus brings God's prodigal children home. Now watch this. The result of our living sanctified lives is that our joy is greater than our sorrow. You'll have sorrow in this world. You'll have trouble in this world. But our joy, who else can promise you? Who else can promise you that your joy is greater than your sorrow? Do you see the danger of the weeds? So the best protective work, protection work, I should say, is proactive work, all right? And so the best way to protect yourself from the weeds is to cultivate good soil, to cause your soil to be so rich, so fertilized, so full and abundant that it's producing the harvest, See, the focus is on the harvest, not the weeds. But there's also necessary protection work that is reactive work, not just proactive, reactive. And there are times you have to remove the rocks. Big deal, you got rocks in your life. Big deal, you got thorns in your life. Welcome to the party, right? Welcome to the party. You got problems. Let's Be honest about it so that we can confess it. The word confess means I agree with God about my sin. I actually take God's side against me with my sin. I confess it. When I confess it, he forgives me and he cleanses me. And he makes me righteous, something that I can never be on my own. Now, what do we do with the weeds? Verse 27 and 28. And the servants of the master's house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? Can we just normalize the fact that there are weeds in the church? How many people in this city in particular have you heard, the church hurt me? 
you know what? Guess what? The world hurt you too. But it didn't offer you a savior. It didn't offer you forgiveness. There are times, honestly, unintentionally, accidentally, I'm going to hurt you. I speak too many words to speak them all correctly. (laughs) All right? There's, I'd rather have an imperfect family than not have any family at all. We must be family, not attendees together. We can only be as close as our shared experiences. Susie last week said, shared experiences create intimacy. See, when one member of the body suffers, all should suffer with it. I went to Harvest Church this past week. Prayed with a bunch of other pastors because that's devastating. Completely devastating. There are brother, sister in Christ. There are family. When you have suffering, if you're not in a dinner group here, And I know we're small right now, and it's fairly manageable right now for Karen and the staff and I to try to muscle everything and kind of care for everyone. That's going to change quickly. But if you're not in a dinner group, we'll ultimately fail you at caring for you. Because when love is programmed, it's not very successful. Programmed love will short-circuit at some point in time. But when love is relational, see, used to, because of the size of our church, if I showed up at the hospital, people initially didn't want me to show up. They think, I must be in bad shape for Chris to show up, right? (laughs) They'd much rather their small group members show up. You know, hey, all's good, okay? What I'm trying to say is every single one of us have our strengths and weaknesses. Love and celebrate people based upon their strengths. Be merciful, compassionate, and understanding with their weaknesses. The man that discipled me used to tell me, Chris, God's growing you as fast as he can without killing you. (laughs) All right, so growth is something that I can't do alone. We need one another. See, there's weeds in the church, right? Now, what does that mean? There are unbelievers in the church. There are counterfeit Christians in the church. We've all done this before. There's times that we have head knowledge and not heart knowledge. There's times that the seed falls beside the road. There's times the seed falls on shallow soil, springs up to life quickly. The sun comes out, it scorches it, and it dies because it doesn't have a root structure. 
There's times that the riches of this world, the, 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 the worries of this world are the thorns that choke it out and it dies. It's not our job to judge who's a weed or who's wheat. It's our job just to keep loving yes. and keep treating everyone like family because we are family. See, there are healthy and un unhealthy believers in the church. There are hurting and healed believers in the church. There are mature and immature believers in the church. So what should we do? Golden rule. Maybe the most famous teaching in the world that's so little applied. Treat others as you want to be treated. Like why do we take, see, the fact that a truth is simple actually means it's more powerful. Don't allow the famous truths of the Bible to lose their power because I know them. No, it's not I know them intellectually, it's do I know them relationally? Do I live every single day with a consciousness of the Spirit of God leading me going, how can I treat others as I want to be treated? So that's the first thing we do. Second, we love one another. Now, listen to how the Bible describes love. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Why? Because we're imperfect, right? Love is kind. Love rejoices with the truth. Now, watch these last five. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and never gives up. Please stop giving up on Jesus. Stop giving up on his church. You're not going to find a better alternative. Stop giving up on God's people. We are flawed. But I promise you, we keep getting up with the singular goal to love you better. Now, what's the third one? Let me read verse 29 and 31st. They said, well, should we gather these? He says, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned and gather the wheat into my barn. Don't risk gathering the weeds. Why? To gather them, you got to judge them. Don't risk uprooting the wheat. There are so many people who are so offended by the church today, so offended by believers. And they were planted in the church, but we judged someone, uprooted them, and it wounded a legitimate believer. And if someone's not a legitimate believer, that should break our heart too. And we should just do everything possible to love them to the Christ. Listen, let both grow together until the harvest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but I mean, there's sin in their life. Come on, people. They know it. You don't have to convince them of it. 
The Holy Spirit's good at his job. He convicts. Okay? Watch this. Focusing on sin never works. Only love works. Focusing on darkness never works. Increasing light works. I've said this to you before, but it bears repeating right here. Some of you won't know the story, and it's too long to give you the whole context, so if it just strikes your curiosity, come ask me later. When my dad asked my mom to marry him for the third time, okay, there's obviously a big backstory there. My dad didn't ask my mom directly. My dad asked me to go ask my mom if she would marry him again. And my mom said, I love him, but I'm not in love with him. But if there's one thing I know, I know this. No one returns home to rejection. She said the only chance that man may have to come to Christ and for our family to be healed is if I love him and we welcome him back. And my dad was saved and baptized at 71 years of age and died at 73. It matters. So whatever you do, don't be judgmental. Listen, judgment isn't the good news, right? We're supposed to be known for good news. And so many people think, I couldn't step foot in that place. Lightning would strike me. <laughs> Judgment never brings the prodigals home. The father allowed the son to leave in such a way that the son would want to come home. The father didn't burn a bridge, he built a bridge. See, it's our job to love people. It's God's job to separate the weeds and the wheat. So let me close with this. Jesus explains this parable. He interprets it in Matthew 13, verses 36 through 43. I'll let you go read that. But at the end, he says this, he who has ears... Let him hear. Would you hear this? Number one, please guard against the enemy. He's really good at his job. He comes to still kill and destroy. If we were in war right now, you would not step outside of your house without being prepared for what could happen. There is an enemy. Guard against the enemy. Number two, protect your own soil. Would you cultivate your soil? Stop asking someone else to cultivate your soil. I mean, have you ever gone over and worked in someone else's garden just without asking? No, you haven't. Like, it's your yard. Keep your yard green. Mow your yard. Like, make this thing look well. So, 
Guard against the enemy. Protect your soil. Slash cultivate your soil. Number three, love imperfect people. And number four, judgment is God's job, not ours. I've never had someone say, thank you for judging me so well. I just really appreciate the intensity with which you criticized me. I don't even use the term constructive criticism because every time I've been the recipient, I thought, I just felt criticized. I didn't feel very constructive, built up. If I ever use the term with you, developmental feedback, that's what I'm trying to do. (laughs) I've got some developmental feedback for you. Speaking truth and love. Here's the way I would love you to respond. We've been singing for a miracle in our city today. Shouting over Memphis. The miracle has to happen in you first. Would you, this can be done right where you are. I'm going to ask Justin, Justin, if you wouldn't mind, just um, have some of the prayer team come up. Sometimes it's perfectly okay for you to make these decisions right where you are. Other times you need someone to pray with you. Other times you might need to, what I call, mark the moment. You may need to remember that, no, I was decisive in this moment. You know, sometimes when we make a decision in our head, it's kind of the mental gymnastics. It's like, yeah, but, I mean, did that really count? Did it really matter? You know, was I really serious? Here's what I want you to do. Hey, God, I surrender the soil of my heart to you. If it's hard somewhere, would you soften it? If it's got rocks somewhere, would you take them out? If it's got thorns somewhere, would you remove them? And just confession draws you close. Sin separates. So when you confess, remember, you've done this with your mom or dad. You've done this with your sibling. You've done this with friend. Like, you know, a parent gets mad at a child. Go to your room. Separation. Ask for forgiveness. What do you do? You embrace. Whatever you need to confess. And confession's not always like the worst sin ever. Confession could be. Honestly, I've just been pretty lame lately. I make lots of excuses. You know, I'm casual, convenient, Christian. I'm not living my life with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength. I mean, what what if we just confess that? I'm not sold out. I'm not fully devoted. My heart's divided. Can you imagine what he would do? 
There's a story one time of offering plate being passed along. And this little boy is watching. Some people put money in and some people not put money in. And they're singing, I surrender all. And the little boy puts the plate on the frown and he steps in the plate. He says, I am the offering. Be a living and holy sacrifice. Whatever you're holding on to, it's not good for you. To surrender and submit is entrusting yourself to the safest, most loving, sovereign, good Father there is. And then just do the work of a farmer daily. Just cultivate good soil. Make sure you get a little sunshine. Make sure you get a little rain each week. Watch out for the weeds. Don't make it overly complicated. And a harvest is going to occur in your life. And a harvest is going to occur in your family's life. And a harvest is going to occur in your circle. And when when we win our circle, we'll win the city. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, share it with a friend. And be sure to subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single episode. Join our movement and help us to prove that love works. You can give towards our mission at onecitymemphis.org.